So I suppose it's no surprise to any of you that there was some flooding going on in northeast Oregon. Uh, Wednesday we had 14 inches of snow here at the church, and by Thursday when I left the church, it was gone. <laughs> and uh, everything off the mountain running down too. And I want to lead into uh, the word of the Lord this morning with, with some events. So Yesterday, the Umatilla Sheriff issued an evacuation order for the Umatilla River and parts of the Walla Walla Rivers and different forks there. They, the bridges are out so bad that they said you either come out now by helicopter or you may not get in and out. Uh, they're, they're having a rough time over there, but the National Guard was flying people in and out on Friday on those twin rotors. Uh, that woman's husband and teenage boys went to evacuate some neighbors. The water was coming up so fast that all of them ended up on the roof and had to be helicoptered out. Professional search and rescue, or at least volunteer trained search and rescue. That's the interstate uh, west of the Stanfield Pilot. Uh, it's still underwater. Trucks drove into the water and then got pushed on their sides. There's a car right there on pushed off the side because the flow was so strong. There's a semi that got pushed on its side over here on the right. The fire department has to go out in the fire truck and, and rescue these truckers from their trucks. And, and so some of these guys are volunteers and some of them are trained rescue, search and rescue guys, sheriff's deputies and so on. And there was a lot of people volunteering to sandbag and helping neighbors, and, and then there's professionals going in and doing what they're doing, and the National Guard coming in with helicopters, and it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful effort to see people help each other. And we honor these, we honor these people, we, and they really are heroes, and we use that word and often, but it's really true that when, when somebody like those firefighters have to drive out in water that has pushed a semi on its side, they actually are putting themselves in danger. And, and I know that the National Guard helicopter pilots are pros, but still, to rappel down to somebody's roof and, and pick them up, and that, that, that's really impressive, and, and we love it. So, so we honor these people, and, and we thank them, and, and the people who are in the situation, there's a lot of tears and extreme thankfulness. And my question this morning is, what if these people who are trained to do these things, what if those firefighters were scared to go in the water and just said no. I don't want to put my life on the line. We honor them because they're, they go above and beyond the call of duty in times like these, in situations like these, and they deserve honor and thanks and public praise. It's right to honor those people because they did go above and beyond. But what if they just didn't even, what if they didn't go? We just expect that there will be courageous, heroic people somewhere who will rise to the occasion when the situation demands. But what if the people who were trained said, I don't, I don't want to go out in that flood water. What if my vehicle capsizes? I don't want to boat up the flooded river. What if I flip over and drown myself? What if... They didn't care. What if they were too busy and couldn't be bothered? 
We are Jesus' deputies. What are we doing about a world that's flooded with death? It's awful quiet in this Baptist church this morning. (laughs) William Booth has a very famous vision of the church on a, a rock island in the ocean. All of the saved people on the rock in the middle of this terrible storm in the ocean. And there are thousands, millions of people thrashing about in the waves. Drowning, going under, smashed against the rocks. And the church is just standing on the rocks watching. I'm glad I'm saved. Y'all are really quiet this morning. Matthew 28 Verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. From Mark 16, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be damned. Acts 2, 38 and 40, when Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. In Acts 20, 31, Paul says, remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. There is a world going to hell. And that is infinitely more dangerous and disastrous than a flooded river. And we aren't doing too much about that. Most American Christians, statistically, most American Christians have never led a single person to the Lord. Not one. Only 17% of American churchgoers know what the Great Commission is. How many of you know which verse I just read to you was the Great Commission? Uh Uh-huh. The first one. Let's go back to that. This is the Great Commission, the command to the church. Jesus said it on the mountain as he was about to arise and ascend into heaven after his resurrection. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That is the Great Commission. That is the command that overarches the the entirety of church history over 2,000 years. That's what Jesus wants done. That's his command. But only 17% of American churchgoers even know that the Great Commission is a thing and know what verse it is. And I don't mean where to find it. They just don't even know that it exists. If every American Christian churchgoer would invite one person to church... Every single church in America would double in one Sunday. But inviting people to church is not necessarily what I'm talking about this morning. If you got that one friend or family or neighbor or classmate saved, even if it took a year, because you know, you know, it isn't going to happen every time on, in the first conversation. Even if it took, takes a year for you to pray for this person and love them and work on them and, and invite them to church, and one year from now, in 2021, the church would, of America would be double the size it is now. 
If every one of us just took one person to love enough to pray for every day and witness the gospel to them every, every interaction we got a chance to. You don't have to save the world. Just one person would double the entire church. And that would be a third of America honestly walking with the Lord. 34% of Americans who are unbelievers say that they feel something important is missing from their life. One-third of your non-Christian classmates and coworkers and family, one-third of them know there's something wrong with their own life. And 37% of unbelievers in America say, anonymously in surveys, they would like to know more about God. And we think we should be scared of them. I know there's a few of you who are natural uh, evangelists and bold sharers of the gospel and lovers of people. Ignore what I'm saying. I'm talking to the 97% of the people in the world that makes them really nervous. There are a lot of people who would be curious, who would want to know what you believe. There'd be a lot of people who'd be mad. You're going to have to be okay with that. But there's a lot of people who would want to know. And nobody is as happy and satisfied as they portray. Come on. Nobody's as happy as they portray. We are Jesus' deputies. We are Jesus' search and rescue team. And he gave us a mission. And way too many of his people are saying, I'm too busy to go rescue people from the flood. I'm occupied. I'm scared. I don't want to go back out. I'm saved. I'm on the rock. I don't want to go back out to help somebody else. We can see that the world is in desperate trouble. And most unbelievers have a sense, even a panic sense, that the world is in desperate trouble. They think fixing the climate is going to fix that. Everybody knows. We can, that's, we can all agree the world is in really, really bad shape. The situation is way worse than a flooded river. It is a lake of eternal fire, of wrath and destruction and pain. And mostly, Jesus' search and rescue team stands around entertaining ourselves while the world goes to hell. Two Sundays ago, when Kobe Bryant had his helicopter crash, Will, my son, texted me um, during second service when it happened, and I didn't look at it till afterwards, but he said, Kobe Bryant just died in a helicopter crash, and my very first thought was, he probably didn't know Jesus. And I don't know if that's right or wrong. I talked a little bit about that last week. Ted informed me that he had just been at Mass right before the helicopter crash. He was at some level. He had a Christian Catholic faith, and I hope it was real. Praise God. But I, don't, I didn't know. It's just my first thought was, ah, I bet he didn't know Jesus. And I texted that back to Will, and Will said, yeah, that was my first thought too. And then the next thought I had was, I, I can't do anything about that. Who do I know who's going to die tomorrow? that I didn't talk to. Somebody on my street or somebody, former student, somebody that I work with and know, who is it that I haven't told? Mostly I know, I know genuinely that you all are really nice people. To your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors, you are kind and encouraging and you want to help. But we are not here to be nice. That doesn't save anybody from hell. 
And I know that for the most part, you are not hypocrites in your Christian faith. You are genuinely good people who want to avoid sin. And avoiding sin is going to pay big dividends in your life, but it doesn't save anybody from hell. It's not enough just to be good. We have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to. We're not here to be nice. We're not here to be good people. We're not here to do community service projects. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And our commission is go into every nation and make disciples, commanding them to obey everything I have told you. We are here to save people from hell, not encourage them in this worldly life. High-fiving people who are sinking isn't helping. We've got to actually speak the gospel. Because that is grabbing the hand and pulling them out. So I have an actual direct word from the Lord this morning. It came Friday morning. Um, before I was out of bed, I was, I was awake, but I was praying. And, and the Lord said this. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. God said, I don't make seedless fruit. I don't make seedless fruit. Everything God made has seeds. People have made seedless fruit. Right? It's not GMO. It's just selective breeding. The watermelon growers kept picking the plants that didn't have as many seeds in them and breeding them to each other until we ended up with, they call it seedless, but it's just partially seedless. You know what I mean. But it's not GMO stuff. It's just selective breeding, but... But they are picking the sterile plants that can't reproduce. And they're doing that for marketing purposes because we don't want to have to spit the seeds out of the watermelon or the orange or the banana or whatever. Grapes, yes. Right? We don't want to crunch the seeds in the grapes. So for marketing purposes, they sell seedless grapes and seedless watermelon a lot better than they sell the natural stuff. But those are the mutants. Everything God makes has life in it, and the whole point is to reproduce. The one on the left is the banana you buy at Walmart and Safeway. The one on the right is an actual natural banana that is full of these pea-sized, rock-hard seeds you can't crunch. That is an actual real banana. The next picture is a cross-section of an actual natural banana. It's just selective breeding. They just kept picking the bananas that had less and less seeds. And over the last 100 or 200 years, we have bananas that have little black spots in them that are the pockets where the seeds are supposed to be, but they are sterile. They have no life in them. Nothing wrong with the bananas. I'm not saying, I'm here to say don't eat them. They're not GMO. But, it, but it's selective breeding to remove the reproductiveness because it's an inconvenience. Grapes, you know, have seeds in them. And your oranges are supposed to be, there's supposed to be a seed or two in every slice. But the orange growers have just picked the seeds that are the sterile mutants on purpose until we are eating seeds or fruit that doesn't have any life in it. Because the fruit isn't going to come alive again, but the seeds will. The seeds are alive. 
Hello? The fruit is there in the natural cycle, the way that God created. The fruit is there. That when it falls from the tree, the apple or the orange or whatever, the banana, the fruit is to fertilize the seed to get it started growing. All the sugar and nutrients that are there in the fruit are there for the seed. We've made fruit a thing unto itself, but the fruit exists for the seed. And God told me Friday morning, I don't make seedless fruit. Some of you are already with me. You already know where I'm going. Our fruit is the works of our life, the good works we do to serve God and other people. God doesn't make seedless fruit. But most of the fruit that I do, and likely you too, is seedless. Jesus said in this parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God, which is alive and reproductive. And the good works that we do to serve people and love them and take care of them and and all the stuff we do is to fertilize that seed that is the word of God. But if you just do good stuff and don't include the word of God in it, you've given somebody seedless fruit. God doesn't make seedless fruit. The entire point of that fruit production by the tree or the vine or whatever is to reproduce itself. God designed our lives, our Christian faith, to be reproductive. But mostly, we like the seedless variety better because it's less intimidating. I'm fine handing money to the homeless person, but I don't want to get out of my car and talk to him about Jesus. There's your seed. Hello? The money is the fruit. Talking to them, sharing the word, which is the seed, is the seed. Come on. Being good, being nice, being kind, but avoiding bringing up Jesus because I don't want my coworker to think I'm a religious fanatic is seedless fruit. You're, giving, you're growing fruit. You're being good. You're serving people and taking care of needs, and you're running yourself ragged. But there's no life in it if it doesn't have a seed. The, you giving the person fruit does not put life in them. If your fruit has seed in it, your fruit makes it sweet for them to want, but it's got to have the seed of the Word of God in it so that God can grow that in them. So we're not here to be nice. We're not here to push sell Jesus either. I I hate salesman type evangelists who are just pushing Jesus on everybody and you get that. The world hates that too because it's just manipulation. It's an agenda. You don't actually care about me. You just want me to join your religion. But in avoiding that sort of salesmanship in evangelism, most Christians that have never led anyone to Christ are just hiding their faith, trying to serve God and people by doing good things, but there's no life in it because you keep your mouth shut. The Word is the seed. The Word is the seed. This book right here. And there's someone who is the Word. Come on. He's the seed. Several years ago, I came around the corner at Rite Aid, headed toward Ace. 
I just come out of Rite Aid, and there is a man sitting on the corner of the building there with his face is black and blue and bloody. He has a tampon shoved up his nose. His shirt is soaked in blood. And he's sitting there on the corner looking as dejected and beat up as anybody I've ever seen. And I couldn't believe he was out in public that way. And, and so I said, sir, can I help you? And he said, well, I just came from the hospital. I'm waiting for the bus to go back to Joseph. He, it was a Saturday morning. He'd come on Friday night on the bus from Joseph to a bar in Legrand and gotten himself so drunk he couldn't stand up. And as he tried to leave the bar, he tripped over something. And he was so drunk he did not catch himself and he landed on his nose. Just blam. And broke his nose and his cheeks and blood everywhere. And he just went to the hospital and they gave him a cotton ball to shove up his nose and sent him home. And I said, uh, I, I talked with him a little bit. I don't remember exactly what all order this was. But he asked me if I had a lighter. I didn't know how he was going to breathe, much less smoke. But I did not have a lighter. And, and so I went into Rite Aid and I bought the guy, uh, the pastor bought the guy a lighter so he could smoke. And I, I spent some time with him, and, and then I don't remember exactly how it all went, but I just I said, God bless you, and, and I left because he was waiting on the bus. And, and I don't know if I prayed for him. I don't remember, but I did that out of Christian love for him because of the commands of Jesus. I took care of him. I spent my money to help him, like Jesus said to in the Good Samaritan story, and I, I, I gave him time. And I genuinely felt bad for him. I wanted to help him. Like, you're an idiot, but I, you know, I really feel bad for you. I'm really sorry. But I did not specifically give him Jesus. I chickened out on telling him, you need to repent of drinking and you need to get right with Jesus. Do you want to do that right now? I, I don't know why. I choked up at that and I walked off. So I, I had some fruit, but... It, it didn't have a seed in it. I, I wimped out, and I've felt bad about that ever since. And I've prayed for his salvation um, numerous times. One time, about a, a, two of my kids were with me, and we were driving past what is now the auto parts store. There, I just saw two homeless guys, you know, vagrant drifter-type guys. You could just tell their look and their bags and stuff. And they were sitting there under the little porch covering in front of that building, and I was, we were driving to Wendy's. And I just drove right past him, and boom, this thing hit me in my heart as we're going to the Wendy's drive-thru. Like, ah, I should take those guys a cheeseburger and give them Jesus. So we go through the drive-thru. I said, girls, we're going to get these guys a burger and go back and talk with them, and then we'll come back and get our chicken nuggets later. So we got cheeseburgers, and we drove around, and I, I got out, and there was one guy just shoved it in his pocket and didn't even thank me. The other guy took it and opened it up immediately like he was truly hungry, and I I wanted to talk with them. I don't want to just shove Bible right up in their face first thing. So I'm asking who they are and where they're from and, you know, how can I help you and why are you here and what's your situation. But I wanted to get around to God, but in that situation, I, I didn't either. One of the guys was not interested in talking to me at all. The other guy was doing, interested in doing all the talking and none of the listening. And I get into these situations where I'm trying to serve God, but, but it's hard to get the seed in the fruit. And I fail. Several weeks ago, I was in Rite Aid, and the checker, I could just tell she wasn't okay. And I said, are you all right? And she said, I have had a, a migraine headache for two and a half weeks. It hasn't quit. And she knew I was a pastor. I, 
a lot of people come through here that I don't necessarily know, and somehow she'd been here at service, and she knew who I was, but we don't know each other. But uh, she knew I was a pastor, she knew I was a Christian, and I said, I don't even know her name. I said, I will pray for you. And I did. I prayed for her every day for some time. I don't know whether she got healed or not. I said, I'm going to pray for your healing, and God's going God's to heal you. And she just beamed, and oh, thank you so much. But I didn't get the gospel in there. I didn't get her and Jesus in there. I just like, I will pray for you. Took my stuff. She was genuinely thankful, but I didn't get Jesus planted. I didn't give her the gospel or the word of God. I just said, I'll pray for you. I picked up a stoned Buddhist hitchhiker at the Pilot Stanfield one time. I'm only going to the next exit there where the interstate turns to Tri-Cities. He wanted to go to Portland. He had his little cardboard sign for Portland. And I said, I, I can only take you a few miles. He's, that's all right. I'll jump in. He was, he, oh, he smelled so bad. He, he was so stoned and very excited to find out that this was back when Oregon had just legalized marijuana. Very excited. Where can I get some? Like, I don't know. Uh, it was before all the dispensaries were around. And anyway, he wanted to talk Buddha, and I had talked to Jesus. Uh, but I, mostly, he just did all the talking. He was extremely talkative, and I couldn't hardly get a word in edgewise. And I wanted to get to Jesus, but by the time we got to our exit, where I had to drop him off and head north, God bless you. And I did a good work. I did it out of real Christian love and duty. But it's... I didn't get the seed in there, and I've regretted it ever since. On the other hand, a year and a half ago, early in the morning, I'm driving into church, and there's a hitchhiker in the pouring rain. He actually wasn't hitchhiking. He was pushing a bicycle somewhere between Embler and Alicell, headed this direction, and I knew from the, I knew it had been raining all night, and he is on a bike. He's in trouble because he has walked from a long way of somewhere. Well, he had pushed his bike from Elgin, and he's already almost Alicell, and nobody had picked him up. Is dumping rain. I'm like, oh, he's going to get my seat so wet. And I, but I was in my pickup, so I could pick him up because I had a way to haul his bike. So I put his bike in the back of the, he put his bike in the back of the pickup, and he got in, and he's just dripping wet. He and his girlfriend had had a fight in the middle of the night, and he'd left Elgin at 3 a.m., and he'd ridden his bike a little ways, and then he had a flat tire, so he was just pushing it. And I'm like, did you have breakfast? No, I don't think I've eaten I don't think I ate yesterday either. I said, well, I want you to know I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, and I want to take care of you in his name. And I said, I'll take you to McDonald's and get you whatever you need. And uh, I said, I'm a Christian too. I said, really? Yeah. I said, well, that's great. He says, I'm, I'm getting my life right with God. I haven't taken meth in nine days. I'm like, right on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh boy, I don't remember his name, and I wouldn't tell you if I did, but um, I don't remember his name. We went to McDonald's, and we sat there for an hour and a half while he had two Egg McMuffins and a coffee with 13 sugars. (laughs) And I had water, and we just talked. And I know that I have a job where I can do that, and maybe you don't, but you have a weekend. But he talked. He told me the tragic story of his childhood and upbringing and and his ex-wife and the kids and drugs and crime and and he wasn't emotional about it it was just all matter of fact and 
And it w- he would talk about God, but I talked about Jesus. Like you, this is, We're not talking God some generic meaningless sense here. This is about Jesus. I said, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants to rescue out of the life you're living. Some of the stuff was done to you, but some of the stuff you're telling me about, you picked it out. You chose to do it, and you need to get your life right with Jesus Christ. I gave him Jesus. He let me pray for him. He didn't want to pray the sinner's prayer because he'd already done that. Okay, great. If you have faith in that, then wonderful. But I got the seed planted. He got, he got lots of Bible and lots of Jesus an hour and a half while he drank his sugar water. Uh, told you two, two summers ago when, on the trip when uh, Dale and Silas and Ben and Will and I were in Nelson House up in northern Manitoba, I'd drunk stumbled in on me. He was so drunk he was slurring his speech. But he came right up to me and asked me about God. Just as drunk as drunk, and he wanted to know why are you here? And this is a this is a church meeting, isn't it? And I I need you to pray for me. And and in three or four minutes, I shared just a super brief gospel with him, his own sin, Jesus's death. He can rescue you from your alcohol and your problems. And if you but you have to give your life to him, and you must obey him. Okay. So I led him in the sinner's prayer, and he was so drunk he could hardly follow along, and he kept interrupting. Is this real? Yes, this is real, sir. And within a three-minute prayer, he prayed, and, and he sat up and he said, I am stone-cold sober. What did you do to me? I said, that was Jesus, sir. No, what did you just do to me? I am completely sober. What did you do? I said, Jesus came into you, and he drove the alcohol out. He said, Why don't you come out to the tent? No, I got places to go. I said, come with us. Come, with, come to the tent and, and, and join us, and, and you'll, you'll learn more about what just happened to you. No, I'm really busy. What did you just do to me? It really spooked him because he got instantly, totally sober while he was praying. The seed came, and it was alive. And it grew really fast. There's a kid in a CNM gas station in Island City just this fall in a sling, and it had shoulder surgery. And I knew him and his dad, just acquaintances, and I knew that he had uh, a football injury and he'd had surgery. And, and right in CNM, I asked if I could pray for him. And his dad's like, Yeah, sure. So I prayed for him right in front of the front door of CNM, and they were really weirded out by that. But I said, I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name. Jesus is real, and he wants you to know that he is real, and we're going to pray for healing in your shoulder right now. It's not just some generic God. It's you have to plant the seed. The word of God is Jesus. Hello? You don't have to know very much. Just say Jesus. Just say Jesus. Hello? When I was 19 in London, I was literally stepping over the drunks and the druggies in the London subway, and, and sometimes I would stop and talk to him, and sometimes I wouldn't, and there was one guy, I, felt, I, I, I stepped over him, and I walked on, and I felt the Holy Spirit, I know he told me, you go back and you, you talk to him, and, and he was just like this, and he's got his legs out and his hat out, where people have to step over him, and just and they're dropping money in his hat, and I knelt down and got in his face, and he opened his eyes and looked up, I have never seen eyes like that. He had no pupils or iris. It was all just gray. And I'm sure it was drugs of some sort. But 
It was gray. There was no color or life there. And, and I, I gave him a bunch of money, uh, more than just a few coins. And I said, sir, and I wasn't even sure if he would even knew what was going on. I said, sir, Jesus loves you, and I, I give you this in his name. And he acknowledged me and shook my hand and gave me a genuine thanks and I went on. He was so stoned I, or high or whatever. I, I don't even know. Like, I wasn't in a situation then with a group of university students where I could, I'm not even at home, where I can take him somewhere and take care of him. I just have to bless him. But I give him Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the seed. Not just, well, we'll pray for you and we're really sorry this is happening. Like, no, you need to get right with Jesus Christ. Hello? It doesn't have to be preachy. It doesn't have to be condemning. It can be fun. But it's got to be about Jesus. Mostly, it's, I think the reason we don't share Jesus specifically is because of fear or laziness, selfishness. Because um, we know some people are going to reject it, and we just got to be okay with that. Just got to be okay with that. That some people aren't going to like it. They're not going to like your morality or your truth that you're telling them they need to repent of, or they're not just—they're not going to want to make the commitment. And um, some people really, really want to be rescued from their problem, but they don't want to change. It, there's all kinds of situations, but some people are genuinely desiring to know the truth. Some people desperately want out of the situation they're wanting. I read. Uh, article that was written as an open letter just this week said uh, a letter from a former lesbian to all American pastors she said please tell me that I am wrong she said I went to a church that encouraged me in my sin and in my relationships and my delusion and my damnation for many years and then I went to a church that told me I was sinning and I went into the pastor's office and I was angry but I wanted to know the truth. And I said, what does the Bible actually say? And she said, two hours later, I walked out completely free because he had the courage to tell me that I was a sinner and that I needed to repent. We can't watch people drown and stand by because I'm too busy to drive my truck out and help you. Or I'm too scared to wade into that stormy water There's a lot of stormy water out there. You can walk on it. Come on. We've got to let love move us. I did not ask Ted to sing, You Make Me Brave this morning, but you sang it. We've got to let love move us because we're not believers for ourselves only. Got to pray... Get the Holy Spirit's heart for people, his courage, his boldness, his excitement. And we just have to do it. We've got to speak up and bless people and pray for them in in Jesus' name. Strangers and people we know. Bobby Connor said that when saved people get around lost people, we act like we're lost. And I don't mean that when you're around your unsaved friends, you are telling dirty jokes and cussing and watching movies that you don't want me to know about. I'm not saying that you're being a hypocrite that way, but, but if you will talk about things with me that then when you're around your unsaved family or coworkers or classmates then all of a sudden that's I don't want to talk about that 
you are hiding your candle under a bowl. I do it too. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I am the biggest coward in this room. Seriously, I am. I am. Jesus said nobody lights a lamp and puts a bowl on top of it. But we do that. You're fine worshiping Jesus and talking about God and what he's doing in your life with everybody in this room. But as soon as you go home or to school or work, you don't talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. And all of a sudden, you're not quite so excited about what he did last week. Because I don't want people to think I'm a freak. But then when Jesus freak comes on the radio, I don't really care if they think I'm a Jesus freak. But yeah, you do. Like, I just... I'm such a hypocrite. We cannot change who we are when we're around a different group of people. Hello? It's really, really simple stuff. It's really not hard. You don't need to know a whole lot. You can't do it wrong. If you do anything at all, you're doing more than 97% of American Christians. You can't do it wrong. Just, Just say what you know. Come on. Bobby Connor, if you don't know who he is, he is nearly 80 years old. He wears a size 3X shirt. So he is a very large old man, and he is apt to be preaching at a town where the X Games were a few years ago, staying in a hotel where the monster drink girls were staying uh, for the X Games. And he said, I get, in the, I get home from my meeting, and I'm going up to my room. With my, I'm going to get my briefcase, and I'm in my church clothes, and these monster girls gets on. And he said, between the whole group of them, they don't have on enough clothes to wad a shotgun. The... Elevator was packed full of these naked women, and they're all squeezing in tight, and he's just like, oh boy, and, uh, and he said, one of these girls, you know, they're 19 and 21, and, and, it, and they say to this fat old man, who's obviously not there for the X Games, are you ready to party? And he says, no, I'm here to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> and he said, one girl in the corner of the, of the elevator starts screaming, ah! Jesus! Jesus! I'm not supposed to be here! I didn't grow up like this! I'm God's girl! I belong to Jesus! I'm not supposed to be doing this! I'm not supposed to be here! And he says, you go gather all your friends and meet me down at the fountain in the lobby and we'll share him Jesus. And he said within 15 minutes he had 50 or 75 people there and he preached the gospel and a bunch of them got baptized in the hotel fountain. Just because in an elevator full of bikini-clad girls, he names Jesus. That's all he did. He didn't preach. He didn't know anything. You can do that. There's somebody there that needs it. She was the one that brought the crowd. You don't have to gather a crowd. You just have to just include the seed in your fruit. Colossians 1.28 says, we warn every man. We must. In love, we must warn and speak up and love. And I'm not your evangelist. You can bring your friends and neighbors and coworkers to church, and they can hear me preach the truth. But, but I can't. I can't do it all. You are your evangelist in your life, in your circle. You don't have to get it all right in one setting. You don't have to expect to have the person on their knees in tears praying the sinner's prayer in the first time you talk to them. Just keep, just keep planting seeds. Just keep planting seeds. Wrap it in lots of sweet fruit to fertilize it. Come on. But the seed has got to be there. It's got to be there. There's no life in the fruit. The life is in the seed. The life is in the word. 
It's in the gospel. That's where the life is. The life is not in your good works. As much love and genuine care and, as you, and obedience as you do them in, that's not where the life is. That's the fertilizer. That's the sweetness that makes them want to eat it, but inside is the seed. Come on. God doesn't make seedless fruit. Don't be a seedless fruit tree. Last Sunday morning, Silas came to me and he said, I had a dream that I need to tell you about. Uh, he said, I was standing at the subway in Island City at the gas station and standing in line waiting on a sandwich and uh, said a short, dark-haired woman came up and started yelling at me and pointing her finger and she said, in his dream, this woman said to me, you can tell your church anything you want, but you leave the rest of us alone. That sounds like it's time to not leave them alone. Come on. That's a spiritual dream, folks. I don't know that, that I would call that a word from the Lord. That's like a, a threat from the enemy. That made me really excited. Like, we're doing something right if, if somebody from hell is telling us to keep our mouth shut. In his dream, the woman says, you can tell your church whatever you want to tell them. You leave the rest of us alone. How about, how about we don't leave the rest of them alone? Come on. Now is the time. Get the seeds in your fruit. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you make us trees of life, that you make seeds in our fruit, Lord. We do love you, and we bless you, and we want to serve you. We want to obey you. We want to be fruitful, but we don't want to be seedless fruit, Lord. We want to have your life, the life of your word and the life of Jesus Christ, not just some generic good works or helping people or even um, some generic God. We want Jesus Christ to be lifted up so that you can draw all men to yourself, Lord. So you are the Savior, not us, but we are the preachers. We are the ones who are your hands and mouth and feet and share your gospel, Lord. I bless every person who feels timid or uh, cowardly, or uneducated, or I don't know enough, or I haven't been saved long enough. Lord, replace all those lies with your truth, that we can always speak the name of Jesus, and we can always share what you have done in our lives, and we can share the word that we know. Lord, you make us brave. You make us brave. Make us fruitful. Make us reproductively fruitful. In Jesus' name.